Hi, and welcome back to Industrial Theory. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins. I am so glad you're here today. I hope you're having a very safe and productive week. Today, I am interviewing Terry Gromes Jr. He is the product strategy manager at Teradon and recently Stone Age acquired Teradon on, on August 31st. We're so excited to have them part of the team. They have been innovating for decades now, and together we are planning to advance the industry even further in terms of computerized, automated cleaning equipment. So Terry and I have a fascinating conversation about how technology is going to change our industry and why we shouldn't be scared of AI and machine learning. And we talk a little bit about what it means to be an employee owner at Stone Age. We're so excited to have the Teradon team as part of our family, and I know you're going to enjoy this interview. Hang tight, and I'll be right back with Terry. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I have Terry Gromes Jr. with me here. Terry, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Happy to be here. Awesome. Cool. All right. So we're going to talk acquisition. We're going to talk technology. We're going to talk employee ownership today. Um, but first, will you tell me a little bit about what this uh, acquisition Stone Age of Teradon means for the company and what you think it means for the broader industry? Well, I think what's unique about this this acquisition is out, outside of how we align with our culture and uh, creativity is like the similarity between Stone Age and Teradon is is our focus on accessories. Um, we have a lot of other companies within our industry that provide industrial services, but sometimes based on the tier of their uh, systems of sales, there's a lot of focus in other avenues such as pump sales followed by the accessory. Whereas the one thing that Teradon and, and Stoney's have, like we focus at, at the delivery of the water, like we focus on the solution and that's what, what sets us apart and makes this, this acquisition so unique. And then, you know, on, on top of that, it's the integration of, of the computerized controls. You know, we've seen an evolution of our industry from the eighties all the way into today and seen progressive growth. And now that we both uh, been on a parallel trajectory on on where we both see the industry heading. Like now to to join forces, I mean, it, it just was a common sense decision. Yeah, I agree, and I agree with you on the on the fo on the focus, right? Of of staying very clear on what the mission is. I mean, people have asked me over and over again, like, when are you going to make a pump, or when are you going to buy a pump company? And to me, the you know the interesting part of this is is the delivery of the water to the to the application, and and then what we're doing with technology to expand on sure. that. So of course, we've been very purposeful to make sure that we have that focus, that very strategic focus, which I think is what has set us apart. So maybe you can share a little bit about, you know, your philosophy of why you've always stayed really focused on the, uh, why Teradon has always stayed really focused on the accessory side of the business. Well, focusing on the accessory side is like, is because there's an unlimited potential for providing solutions. You know, we, we work in industries such as the, the energy sector, the, the food sector, obviously the petrochemical, but like a lot of these refineries and facilities, they were made to provide you know a, a service to develop a product, and uh, the maintenance schedules were an afterthought. So where the everything happening at the high pressure pump is an impressive feat in itself, it still does not assist the end user on actually performing a safe and efficient clean. So still today, we're still we're just now getting into a phase in our industry where where we are having engineers from you know the asset owners coming to speak with us for like the first time ever to be like, we're trying to figure out a maintenance schedule while we're building a new refinery. And that hasn't been the luxury that, that 
the industry has always had. It's always been, we have to go into a facility, we have to operate within these parameters and these conditions, but that's also was made the, the accessory end very challenging, but very fun because you're always, you're always providing a new solution. You're always, you know, you're always using your critical thinking skills and, you know, creating something that may not necessarily even be an off the shelf product, but you know, you're, you're at the mercy of the parameters within the refinery or the asset owner. And, and so you always have to be able to engineer and collaborate and, and provide a new solution. That's, that's what, you know, we really thoroughly enjoy, um, at Teradome. Interestingly, uh, I was, I had an interview where I interviewed Elon Musk. I think I told you that. And when we were talking before the interview, uh, happened, I was telling him about what we do and he's like, oh, uh, yes, cleaning. That's always so difficult. And I said, yeah, well, we are getting more and more people coming in here to say, hey, can you design a plant for cleanability? Because we didn't think about this. And how is it going to get cleaned? And he's like, yeah, the next battery plant that we're going to build, um, I, I we need to do that because we did not think about it. And so I said, well, you just call us when it's ready, because when you're ready to start, because we can help you start to think through cleanability um, when you're doing plant design so that you don't necessarily have these really difficult engineering feats sometimes to, to have to go in and clean this stuff. So it was interesting to, to have a conversation with him, like not even I wouldn't even imagine that that was in his realm of thinking. And as soon as I said, you know, water jetty, hydroboxing, he's like, oh, God, yeah, we, we need to talk to you when we build this next plant because we really screwed up this last oh, one. Gosh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and uh, it's it's been unforeseen, like historically through, throughout so many uh, industries. So it's not just exclusive to, to water blasting. Like we even have. What, what can we use as an example? Like think of like asbestos or lead paint. Look at how those products were created. And the afterthought was like what the long-term effect is on the, the human being. I mean, quite honestly, like our water blasting industry hasn't even thought of like what is the long-term effect on that end user who was cleaning with a lance, you know, this far away from a heat exchanger that has whatever caustic product coming out and in, in vapor form that that person's inhaling. So, I mean, like this is just, it's a lot of things that, that the industry hasn't focused on yet and we'll continue to evolve there, but. A lot, of, a lot of those factors take into consideration when you're when you're developing a, a an accessory, and you know, just circling back, that's that's what's a blast, no pun intended. Exactly. Well, that's good. That that kind of segues into my next question. So, you know, over the last several years, our industry has really seen automation take off, um, and there's a lot of most applications can be done now hands free. Mm -hmm. But really, that next generation is is where Stone Age and Teradon have been taking the industry, and that's creating computerized, sensor based platforms. Mm -hmm. So, can you tell a little bit more? Tell us a little bit more about you know where you think that this is going in the future, and how our two companies are going to work together to really be able to, I don't know, hopefully expand the adoption of this a little bit more rapidly than what has been taking place? Sure, sure. And I, th I think it, industry specific, it, it, it starts at that definition of, of automation. You know, historically, we, we went from calling hands on cleaning to automation, where in a sense, it was misbranded. Because if you look at the term automation, I mean, it's, it's talking about uh, a machine or a computer minimizing the interaction from the human being. And we have that surrounding us like every single day. Like we have our, our Keurig coffee maker, we press a button and it knows how to make the coffee. Like every day we walk into the office or a bank, like the automatic opening doors, we have automated uh, car washes, we have automated 
uh, the, the luggage, whenever you get off the airplane, it delivers it to us. And it, it's become part of our everyday life that we don't even think about, you know, how, how much how much efficient it is uh, for automation. So when we start there, that's where we can differentiate bef between an actual mechanized cleaning application versus uh, a computerized or automated cleaning application, you know. So, but also it's uh, something that Sony and Teradon have, have done, which is have, is have foresight on the industry and where it needs to go. You know, one of my favorite quotes from, from Henry Ford, who innovated the transportation industry with the automobile, he said, if I had listened to what people told me that they wanted, I would have made faster horses. So you, we had to have a, a unique, innovative approach to, to integrating uh, the computerized devices. And it, I think it, it helps start where some of the cleaning processes that we do are repeatable. And well, case in point, like a, a heat exchanger clean, like we know that within this heat exchanger, we have centered distances that are going to be accurate uh, and repeatable and consistent. So, you know, starting there, like that's where, um, uh, automation is easily is easily integrated, so that's the defining difference between the hands-free and the automation. But the automation is is there for, I would say, quality of life, but but for the worker as well. Like numerous studies have been done to show that the the twelve-hour work shift uh, it, it virtually gives no benefit to the eight-hour work shift just because it's not it's not so much how long the worker is working, it's it's how efficient the worker is working. You know you. You have the worker come in and it's it's prime window of working like maximum capacity is is, is uh, hours two through six. So you have a worker come in the first hour to wash, clock in, grab your coffee, BS, you know, now it's time to work. But, you know, we're, we're human beings. We're not, you know, we don't have a finite resource or an infinite resource of energy and, and focus. So after like we have hours two through six. And after that, it slopes down. So um, by the time you get to hours 10, 11, 12, like the, the, the output of that worker based on numerous studies is, is completely useless. And that's that's where the mechanized device and the automation come into play. It's that it, it, can, it can be consistent. It's repeatable. It doesn't get tired. It doesn't fatigue. And, it, and it's at the end of the day, it's easier on the end user. So they should be the most open-minded to, you know, integrating this technology. So how do you think that the computerized systems are going to continue to change that, right? And, and I agree there's been a misbranding um, of automation when it really is mechanized. But now, you know, an operator can can really truly be far further back from the application, you know, maybe sometimes sitting on their couches. We'll see. So how do you really see like this next version, right, of the, of the Sentinel, the lunchbox, um, changing this type of technology, changing our industry? Well, so it, it's a focus on human error, right? And it, it kind of builds off the, the, the last topic of discussion with like the, the, the human fatigue. I mean, that, that, that complements the overall human error. So by incorporating computerized devices, it, it takes away the ability of the failure at the end of the end user because of the, the computerized function, the automated function. And th there's a lot of factors to that as well, but uh, ultimately it's it's human interaction constantly with with the tool. And by using the computerized device, like I told people for, for years, whether it's you know the tablet at Teradon or the, the controller at Stone Age, there's more computing power in these handheld devices than it took you know, the Apollo missions to get to the moon. I mean, it's, it's mind blowing the potential that we have in our hands 
that we're not even using its full capabilities yet. So by placing the or, or eliminating the potential of human error, I mean that is the the definition of of efficiency is you know the output that you achieve and how much time was required to achieve that. So if you have to go back and add more time, add more time, add more time to finally achieve this, then you you're not being very efficient, even though you achieve the end goal. So the objective is to achieve the end goal with the least amount of time spent doing. So that's what computers do. I think the other thing this plays into, you know, along with with thinking from of the human resource that goes into this, but there's also the natural resources that go into this. And mm -hmm. asset owners and, and contractors, uh, maybe for different reasons, are worried about fuel consumption and mm -hmm. water consumption. Yeah. And these types of systems certainly are are creating opportunity to you know, to, to do, to perform cleaning more efficiently mm -hmm. so that you're in and out using less water, using less fuel. So how do you think that these computerized hydroblast systems are going to play in the role of, of reducing water and fuel consumption and really help companies with their ESG initiatives um, as they're looking at the, the sustainability factor? No, it's, it's, it's a great question, Carrie. I mean, it, it should, it should be, uh, one of the the focuses today for for the asset owner and, and the contractor alike like it this is the reality of of our world today like 90 percent of california is in a severe drought right now so like water isn't necessarily a luxury that we can just have laying you know just blasting on the on the ground on a, on a work pad so uh being able to to achieve the efficiency of not only that, but also fuel consumption, like like you said, a lot of that has to do with like that that data that's being logged on on the computerized devices. Like it's just raw, empirical, unbiased data that just gives you information. And it's how you use that information. So, like you said, if you're able to in a in a computerized cleaning application, if you're able to replicate and duplicate like the the same clean throughout the entirety of the application that you know you're allowed to or you're able to achieve the ideal cleaning parameters it does cut back considerably on rework and in reworks a, a topic that has not been really discussed it falls back into that that efficiency definition you know, how much time you spend to get the output and you know some of the results that we we're able to achieve at that puget sound naval shipyard with with the u.s navy was by having a device that can feed the lance forward and reverse, such as like the 2L, 3L or, or the series that we use, like by being able to replicate that after identifying the cleaning parameters, they were able to cut rework uh, times from 10% down to 0.25. So less than 1% of the tubes had to go back and be recleaned just because of the repetitive, consistent nature of, of an automated tool that delivers the same, the same uh, clean every single time. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that the industry is going to be talking more and more and more about this, right? It's hard to not as you see the dramatic pictures of, you know, reservoirs drying up yeah. and going, hey, you know, water, water is going to be a precious resource. And I have to imagine many asset owners are starting to look and saying, hey, neither we have to figure out how to do this more efficiently or water blasting is going to have to go, mm -hmm. right? There's going to, we're going to have to start exploring other mediums, which you know, maybe a lot more expensive mm -hmm. or maybe not as efficient as water, but 
I think this is a, a problem that behooves the industry to really be solving and and why I'm so excited about you know the the future product development that that our two companies are going to come to the market with because it's got to solve not just labor issues and you know not just the human human resource issues but we're really going to have to take a look at what does cleaning look like in the future and how does water blasting play into this and how is technology still going to allow it to be the most effective I think I think in, in a typical plant, all cleaning activities combined, hydroblasting is still 85, 90% sure. of the of the medium that's used to clean. But you know, if we can't figure out the water issue, I think we're gonna we're gonna see other technologies come come into play because we can't just, like you said, you just can't have, you know thousands of gallons mm -hmm. of water mm -hmm. being used um, to, to, to clean a particular application with no way of, of reclaiming it and, and reusing it in an easy For fashion. Sure. For sure. I mean, that's why it's been an objective of ours to raise awareness to that fact, because if our industry does stay complacent, um, there are other technologies out there, not necessarily better, but based on those parameters that we're given. And if, if water is a restrictive measure, then, you know, it does put our industry in a bind because we, we are rely, relying on that as our medium of, for cleaning. All right. Well, we'll solve that problem later. No. <laughs> let's talk about data. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about data. So you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned the data that's being collected by systems like the Sentinel and the Lunchbox, but let's, Let's step back a minute because I think a lot of people don't understand like what IoT is, Internet of Things, like what does that mean? So can you talk about what IoT is in the context of what we're doing and why it's so important for people to um, to embrace the data that's being collected as part of their strategy? Sure, sure. So IoT is the Internet of Things acronym. And what that is, is that is taking... Uh, the internet and using it as a means of communications with a multitude of devices, whether it's a sensor, whether it's a computer. Um, so having those abilities to wirelessly communicate and transfer information is very valuable in a world where, where analytics can be used to uh, capture the used data and use it for predicted future uses. I mean, it really puts the asset owner and, and the contractor both equally in a, in a very beneficial position to, to maximize their output. I mean, let, let's create an example. We have, we have a uh, contractor with a day shift, night shift, you know, and day shift cleans 800 tubes in a heat exchanger clean. And then uh, night shift comes on and they clean 600 tubes. Well, what was the factor that contributed to the disparity of, of the clean on day shift versus night shift? You know, did they blow a nozzle? Did the pump break down? Did someone take too many cigarette breaks? I mean, it's, it's all about using unbiased empirical data to help, to help determine the, the maximum efficiency that you can, that you can achieve. By using IoT, it, it expands beyond the, the person to person interaction. This information can be shared worldwide, uh, live time, so that we are able to to use that and make it scalable on a much larger platform so that it's just not limited to one end user, one contractor. It can be used for determining the, the parameters uh, for the clean of this heat exchanger and then scaling that throughout an entire asset owner, you know, worldwide. So it's, it's invaluable how critical or, or how much value that, that IOT can bring to build upon and, and 
that's something that Teradyne and, and Stone Age both share is, is a platform to, to build upon. Maybe it's being embraced more. I mean, I think we've gotten mixed people, right? With people who are like, oh yes, I can't wait to have this data. I cannot wait to share it with my customer to people who are afraid of it, right? Mm -hmm. Saying, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. So, you know, how, how do we, how do we help bring those people along to, to help, help them understand just how valuable that data is and that there's nothing to be scared of um, by embracing it? Well, it, it is a cultural change. I mean, uh, a lot of times people will think, ooh, big brother, like someone's always spying on me. Like they're they're measuring my my value just just by these numbers and not act my actual intellect and and the the skills that I've achieved over years. So that is that is one of the setbacks. Uh, the other setback is just the the fear of computerized technology in general, where they think that their 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 jobs are on the line. And coincidentally enough, over the weekend, I, I came across a presentation I did at the 2018 WJTA, which was called Calm Down, you know, automation is not going to take your jobs. And it had numerous examples, which, you know, in, in my memory, I, I, 2018 is so long ago, but it, it showed uh, some interesting examples. And one of them was the, the integration of the, uh, of the ATM versus the bank teller. And it just showed like... Um, how in the 60s and the 70s, like it was uncommon to see like 40 to 50 uh, people lined up outside of the bank because everything was done hands-on, you know, person-to-person, peer-to-peer transaction. And so the lines were extremely long and it was a very inefficient uh, process. But then when you fast forward to the ATM, you know, the ATM can perform all the transactions that, that the individual would um, without the long lines and, and at people's convenience. And so instantly people were terrified that, the ATM was going to wipe out all of all of the jobs for the bank tellers, but as it turns out, you fast forward to two, uh, 2010, it was the number of bank tellers increased from 300,000 to 600,000. So they doubled um, according to the to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. But it was because the ATMs made everything more convenient, um, and though the number of tellers per branch fell down, it made it more cost effective for the banks to be able to build more branches. And so even though there were less tellers at each branch, they were able to build more branches and therefore there's still uh, a multiplication of the bank teller jobs just due to integrating something that is automated and in a bank, uh, an ATM that is IOT. I mean, that's, that's wireless transaction, like instant time across the world, uh, encrypted and secure. So, I mean, it's, it's a great, it's a great, example to, to showing how one of, one of the benefits, but also uh, job building, it's actually the opposite of, of the fear of automation taking jobs. Yeah, that is a great example. Thank you for resharing that. And a great way for people to go, hey, my job isn't on the line. Uh, my job is going to change <laughs> uh, potentially. Absolutely. And and maybe that's part of the fear, right, of just of, of how it's going to change, but that it's not going to take your job. In fact, it's going to make your job easier when you embrace it. Um, but I do think that there's that learning curve that's intimidating for people. And especially because, you know, our, we've got such a, I mean, in, in any workforce today, we've got four generations. Um, but you know, we have a lot of people who are in that, you know, I was in the analog mm -hmm. world, I was in the manual world, and I don't know how to make that switch to automation and, and it scares me a little bit. So 
I think being able to take a step back and, and, and use an example like that to help people understand, like, it's not scary, even though it does require change. Yes. And, and some people are, are afraid of change. Um, and, and they see their, their value at, at that level and they want to protect it. But at the end of the day, one thing that automation, automated tools don't have, they don't have what, what we call soft skills. Like they don't have the ability to think. They don't have critical thinking skills. They don't have job management skills. Like they, they take a series of code and they perform what that code tells it to do. Or through machine learning, they, they perform what the, uh, the operator tells it to do and then replicate it. So, so by taking the repetitive job that takes the focus of the end user over a 12 hour shift and eliminating his focus and eliminating distractions and human error, it allows that person to acquire a new skill set through soft, the soft skills, and it gives them the ability to think. And that's the that's the human being's most valuable asset is is the ability to to, to be creative, to think of ideas, to be more efficient, and not have to think about that job at hand because now now a robot's doing it for you. So I'm gonna get get philosophical for just a second, but to me this is what's exciting, right? Because I through the industrial era and this whole idea of maximize efficiency, maximize efficiency, you know, we turned humans into robots, right? You just have to do one job really well, and it can be that repetitive task. And I think that you know, looking back over the last fifty years, while well, it's and created a, an incredible amount of productivity increases, which have created a tremendous amount of value for companies. It's also made life pretty crappy for most workers, right? Who don't get to use their creative power that all they are is just a number. They're a cog in the wheel, a button pusher, a, a, a just doing one, a, one of those tasks over and over again. And I always tell people we shouldn't be afraid of, of AI and machine learning because AI is only good at doing one thing yep. really well, yes. right? And that repetitive task over and over again. And where humans are going to come back in with our creativity and hopefully finding purpose and meaning in work is, you know, where those intersections lie, where you need human thinking, human creativity, human ingenuity to really solve tough challenges and, and build those connections. Because that's where we need to go back to, right, is, is how are we all in this together? Mm -hmm. How are we all connected? How are we working together? rather than just the push the button. So to me, I think it's really exciting. While I understand it's scary for people to say, oh, I'm gonna lose my job and I'm gonna have to upskill. I'm going to have to reskill myself. I think it's gonna bring a lot more meaning and purpose into people's lives because they're not gonna be doing boring jobs mm -hmm. that a machine can do. They can be doing interesting jobs that actually add value or creativity that are in alignment with their purpose. So I don't know, maybe that's wishful thinking, but oh, no, I, agree uh, you know, I think that's where we're going. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's the next industrial revolution. I mean, that's how the first one happened. You know, people were working such long hours with primitive methods that they weren't increasing efficiency and they're literally working sun up till sunset until a, a mechanized method was made like, uh, you can either name like the laundry machine or you can uh you know you can name the vehicle or the the assembly line was a significant one um but and and the unions at that time to create a work day parameter so that people didn't work their lives away so that gave people gave people leisure time which was unheard of at that time and so what do you do in leisure time you you enjoy your your hobbies you enjoy your family but it also gives you time for independent thought and creativity and that's what that's what spurred the industrial revolution and, and just to feed off of what you just shared is like, yeah, this next 
industrial revolution is going to do the same thing. It's going to take that that production job and uh, assign a machine to do that so that people can revisit the idea of creative thought all over again. And it's exciting. Yeah, me too. It kind of reminds me a little bit about what's going on this this latest rage of quiet quitting, right? Where people are are putting boundaries around their work hours saying, hey, if I don't have purpose and meaning in my work, I'm going to go find mm-hmm. it outside of mm-hmm. work. And therefore, I'm going to do my job, you know, not go the extra mile, uh, which of course I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer, right? Like that's what you do. We like rise and grind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that is how you got successful. But I think that what that, what's happening, right? What millennials and, 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 and Gen Zers are saying is I have to have purpose in my Mm -hmm. work. And if I don't have purpose in my work, and if I can't find that in a company, then I'm only going to do what I have to do to get my paycheck so I can find it outside. And so it's so interesting how history repeats itself. Um, if you pay attention to history and care about history, which I very much do, and obviously you do too, right? The same thing is happening again. It's not this like, oh, craziness of something that's new. Mm -hmm. It's something that's always happened when people want leisure time, they want purpose in their lives and purpose in their work. So, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how technology changes all of this. For sure. Thanks for letting me pontificate for a minute. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's, it's in my wheelhouse. We could uh, talk about that topic for another hour, but I don't know if we have that time. We don't. We don't. And, and I don't know that everybody wants to listen to us <laughs> talk about it for another hour. Uh, so let's <laughs> let's uh, let's change topics here to, to wrap things up. Um, so as you know, and part of the reason why Teradon um, decided to sell to Stone Age was very much about our employee ownership culture. And so I'm curious to hear how you view our employee owner culture and what it means to you to be part of the employee owned uh, Stone Age family of companies. Yeah. So the answer is yes. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, I was just wanted to elaborate on the bigger picture of the alignment of, of cultures and, and how the timeline of us being historically competitors in the industry, how they inter- intersected at the right time. and like we like we said, whether it's God's will or, or just right timing or or just a stroke of luck, you know, um, our paths crossed and we had had the the conversations and, and got to know each other. So seeing the culture uh, was was very great experience that reflected our own culture in our own small world. You know, we've we've built our company on the 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 idea of taking ownership in your work. And being proud of what you do and everything that you make or everything you sell or everything you create, you put your name on it. Um, it's a sense of pride. And um, and you hold your, your your peers accountable too if they don't have that same approach. And that's that's something that we've we've always you know put that label on everything we do historically. So when we were introduced to the ESOP, ESOP um, that that was everything that we've always taught our employees plus more. Like now, instead of them just having that mentality, now now they're compensated for it. Now there's 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 opportunity for them to take ownership in the business, you know, through the program, through you know, by by accumulating stock, so that as now, now they have a, a separate incentive to do better, as if one wasn't good enough. If if pride in your own work is not a good enough incentive, now there's a uh, there's a, a quality of life incentive, and 
You know, it's something that I always wish that we could have offered at such a small scale company, but now seeing everything that's been built at Stone Age, like I'm super excited for, for my peers and my employees to be in, involved in the structured ESOP. I mean, it's fantastic. The way that I view it is that what we're taking, we're taking capitalism and we're making it better. Like yeah. I believe in capitalism, but I believe that like it's gotten off track, right? Mm -hmm. With with the accumulation of wealth being just too few of hands and how what we can do through the ESOP is we can say, hey, you know, we're part of this model. We're part of adding value and generating value for our shareholders, but our shareholders are employees. Right. So it right. just, it just flips the narrative a little bit on where that wealth creation happens instead of at the top with a few people, it's with all the people who are building the company and the employees. And so I love it because I think it does give you more purpose and meaning in your work when oh, sure. you say, when you have the opportunity to say, Hey, I'm an owner mm -hmm. and I get to yeah. share in this success. Yeah. But, um, but it also is going to change lives for the better. It has changed so many lives for the better. So I don't know, there's, there's the very like personal aspect of it to me, but there's also like this bigger picture of, Hey, business owners, business leaders, founders, there's this different way for you to do things that shifts where wealth is created. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's beautiful. I'm on board. Well, I'm glad. We're glad to yep. have you on the yep. team. It's going to be so exciting to see what these next uh, next months, years, uh, decades bring uh, with our companies together. And uh, and I so appreciate you coming on the show and having these conversations about technology and and our industry together. Um, hopefully, what it does is just gets people really excited for what's to come next. Well, uh, thanks for having me on here. It's been a pleasure. Fantastic. All right. Well, hang tight, everybody, and I'll be right back. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining me. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. I certainly have, have gotten to know Terry over these past several months, and I'm so excited about what we're going to do together. With that, I will leave you to your week. I hope you join me on next month's episode of Industrial Theory. And if you like this podcast, please like it, share it, write a review rate it. It always helps with the algorithms. And it's so important to get these messages and stories out across our industry. Have a great day. See you next month.